Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm so sorry I forgot to tell you, but you're not feeling very well. And the only way to cure it is if we stay home all day and I tend to you and kiss you and cook for... Bye. Frank has built something truly special. What he's created out here, it's, it's a different way, a better way. Victory has things money can't buy. Mm -hmm. I live next door. You wouldn't believe the things I've heard. Jack and Alice only have time for each other. What is the enemy of progress? Chaos. Yes. <laughs> Nasty word. Chaos. The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. gets this opportunity. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing the world. They're lying about everything. New Line Thriller Don't Worry Darling, directed by Olivia Wilde, recently premiered in Venice. And today we're joined by the film's cinematographer, Matthew Libatique, a two-time Oscar nominee for A Star is Born and Black Swan. Don't Worry Darling stars Florence Pugh and Harry Styles as a happily married couple that live in victory a mid-century Palm Springs-like company town. It also stars Wilde, Gemma Chan, Kiki Lane, and Chris Pine. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. Maddie, great to have you back on Behind the Screen. Uh, I've been waiting and waiting. When do I get another shot? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, congratulations on Don't Worry, Darling. Um, it looked great. Why don't we start with how you met uh, Olivia Wilde? Uh, you, you did a short together before this film, correct? I actually met Olivia on a film called uh, Cowboys and Aliens, directed by John Favreau. I think it was 2009 or, yeah, around 2009. Um, she was part of an amazing cast on that movie, you know, and uh, obviously hit it off. She was basically the only female lead in this, you know, group of cowboys. Um, and uh, we sort of hit it off then. And she, after that film, maybe a couple of years after, she had reached out 
basically just to say hello, to stay in touch. And that's when I first started getting an idea that she wanted to direct. She had, she had aspirations to direct. And um, and then uh, we just sort of stayed in touch. And one day she called me up to do this short film, Wake Up with uh, Margaret Qualley. And uh, I had worked with Margaret on um, a film called Native Son and loved her. And I, I said, you're going to go absolutely crazy for her. And she did. And that experience was, we showed, it was about four days in New York, and it was just shooting all around the city. And, um, you know, it was, it was about a woman who was waking up and had amnesia and, we were try- and trying to wonder what happened to her and how she ended up in this hospital. And she escapes. But the, the, I don't know, the sort of sense of wonder and folly that ensues is, you know, it, it had a thriller aspect to it, but she had this sort of a, for lack of a better term, feminine quality to what the character, how the character was sort of interacting with everything that was new because she was sort of rebuilding her memory. And uh, it was just a great experience for me um, working with her because, you know, she was obviously she's extremely visual and open and um, likes to take many, many chances. And she's she's pretty daring. And um, it was exciting. It was, you know, it was my first my first um, experience uh, working with her and as a director, and I, I, you know, I was just, it was after Booksmart too, so I knew, I had already known, that sort of proved to me that she really had something special, you know, to take uh, the words off of that, that the written page on that screenplay and then create what she created, I thought was really exceptional. So I was a fan, um, uh, for sure. And when we made that, when we made the short, I was really excited to work with her. And I hope that we would have a chance maybe to collaborate on something long form. And, and uh, when this came up, I I felt very fortunate. You know, um, it's one of those cases where the pandemic kind of helped me, <laughs> you know, because I wasn't available initially when she talked to me about it. And um, when the pandemic happened and the shutdown happened, I think they pushed and an opening became available. I mean, it became apparent. And I was I was lucky enough to be the beneficiary of that opening. So. Um, she asked me to do it, and I you know, kind of jumped at it. After you read the script, what were what were some of the things that the two of you talked about at the start as far as what you wanted to achieve photographically? Well, I, I didn't have any goals myself. You know, I, I, and I, and I've, I've said this to other people, too. It's like I, I just wanted to um, figure out, because I know I came on late, and I might have been one of the later collaborators on the film. So there was the, the ship had been moving, had <laughs> decisions had been made, and things had been designed, and colors had been chosen. You know, so coming in late to a process isn't necessary. You know, I'm, I didn't have that much experience there. Usually, I'm there a little bit of earlier, and in some cases, really early. So this was a little bit of a change for me. So I, I sort of hit the ground running, but I, I my in due diligence, I just wanted to understand where she was coming from. So when um, I met her, we just sat in her office and discussed all these photographs that were behind her. You know, typically directors have these inspiration boards and she had an entire wall of photographs that were basically the things she was thinking about. And we just went through one by one talking about it. And in a very casual way, it it wasn't... um, What's great about her, I have to say, working with Olivia, it's like, it's not... It doesn't feel like business. It feels like social interaction. And... um, 
you know, when we talk, we're talking, you know, the conversation can sort of meander from one film to another, from one photograph to from one photographer to another artist. And and that's kind of how we started is just discussing what we like about them and why. And she had like she had a, a photograph that I I, um, I think is I think is uh, well I know when you look at the movie is is basically throughout it's sort of this it was just a single shot of an eye I have no idea where it came from but it was the shot that we wanted to um, use as a, sort of an inspiration for every time you see a circle inside the film which you see many whether it be the Busby Berkeley dancers or the coffee in the morning, uh, or the cul-de-sac, you're seeing these shapes over and over again. And um, so we talked about how, you know, I like to sort of build theories and, um, like, you know, we have this circular shape, maybe that is something that we contrast against all the mid-century modern architecture with the straight lines. And I thought that was cool. Like, those little things were layers and layers that she had already had in her head to be honest with you. And she she was, uh, she was spoke a lot about, and she really wanted to embed in me the idea that what we're setting up is this world, this idyllic world that is sort of turned on its head, this 1950s idealism, but turned on its head in terms of its debauchery and its sex. And it's like, you know, these people are, yeah, they're housewife and the man goes to work, but it's like they're having fun. And she really, we talked a lot at length about that first scene where you see them playing that game where where all the women are trying to hold drinks on their head with um, these little the little trays. That, to me, was like of utmost importance because that would set the tone and that would establish the photography. It would establish the light. It would, establish, it would basically establish the approach in cinematography. And then beyond that, just creating that consistency throughout and building and world building. And it was a, that was the most exciting part, really, and that was exciting to her. It was exciting to Katie Byron. It was exciting to exciting to Ariana Phillips. Katie Byron, the production designer. Yeah, and and Ariana Phillips, the costume designer. They had already started building the world, and you know, in collaboration with Olivia, and Olivia was sort of conveying these all these things. And I'm appreciative of the fact that she was conveying them to me, but with the foundation of this is the attitude that we want. You know, we can create everything we want to do style-wise and what we're going to put in front of the camera and maybe how we're going to light it. But for me, like um, the attitude was all about me understanding how the camera was going to move inside the film. So, and that, and just, just listening. I did a lot of listening, maybe too much talking sometimes. And, uh, and I did, I did, I met with her in the first week and then I started to just hang out with Katie and hang out with Ariane just to understand um, and try to catch up. So uh, early conversations were really about getting me up to speed um, or regarding the, the approach. Well, let's start with, you mentioned the opening scenes. In the opening scenes, you created this, you know, candy-colored, you know, late 50s, early 60s, Palm Springs. You shot on location in Palm Springs, uh, this, you know, really idealistic world. Do you want to elaborate on the look and how you, how you approached it? Well, there was a couple of technical things that I had to sort of um, overcome. One of which is when you look at the interior of those houses, they're all kind of cookie cutter, but they're kind of beautiful. You know, this mid-century modern theme throughout the Palm Springs that, that is just reoccurring um, place after place. And the 
the idea that uh, each and every one of these couples lives in the same, basically the same house <laughs> with some embellishments here and there to sort of personalize them. They ultimately live in the same house. It was like the ultimate, the, like the cool, hip track home of, of, uh, of the movie. But the real challenge was we built this enormous house which was absolutely gorgeous. I saw all the designs and the and the concept drawings and the um, and I, and all the um, illustrations. And I, the problem was we how do we convey um, where it was? And we had to shoot a backing in lieu of blue screen, which we didn't want to do. We had to con- you know shoot a backing for where we were. So that cho- that made me choose a camera that was going to have a little bit more focus fall off. Um, so that's why I chose the Mini LF, so I could use a larger sensor and I could have a little more focus fall off. Just to sell the fact that that distance, that that backing was a real place. And I thought it was extremely convincing. It ended up being con- extremely convincing and I think it helped blend um, the world of the interior and the exterior seam- seamlessly. So using that large sensor, I was able to just um, create texture back there as it fell off, whether it would be day or night. I was able to um, sort of sell the reality of that. And then beyond that, I, I chose a, sort of a, 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 a optics and lenses that would have aberration. I, I wanted there to be some kind of imperfection sort of as a cue that maybe um, this is a visual cue to add depth to the film that, you know, we had all these beautiful colors and we had this wonderful design, but I thought it would be interesting to contrast that with glass that wasn't as perfect. And if I pan the camera into the light, all of a sudden there'd be a flare. And, and those, those little aberrations uh, from a cinematography standpoint would actually create a world that might be, one, feel a little more real. And two, also sort of contrast all that shininess and maybe, maybe subconsciously have this idea that not everything is perfect inside this, in this, in this little society that they built. Maddie, do you want to talk about the black and white scenes that you shot that have uh, sort of the Busby Berkeley look? You know, those uh, Busby Bur- Berkeley sequences, I, I honestly wish there was more of them, you know, but they didn't <laughs> 100% work uh, narratively. It was so fun to shoot, and it was a pre-shoot day, so it was day one, essentially. And um, the idea there being she just really wanted to convey this um, objectification, you know, the sense of objectification, and... Uh, but then she choreographs is absolutely gorgeous, and they choreograph. She works with the choreographer, you know, and builds this beautiful sequence. And Ariane puts together these amazing costumes. We shot in color, and it looked stunning in color. But um, I think because of where it played in the film, it had to be black and white. Like in her in her mind, it was always black and white. But then I I saw her staring at the screen, and she says, "I you know, it looks great in color." I'm like, I know. It does. It was a shame to pull it out. But narratively, it played inside this um, sort of this captivity capsule. I don't even know what the name is where, you know, all in, in, uh, in theory, all the women existed in this sort of machine. And um, the whole idea being that uh, it would build up to this reveal of what, um, you know, this, this, uh, the, sort of the woman that was captive was actually seeing and being fed. A little bit of that... Um, the idea of uh, what's the scene in um, Clockwork Orange where the, the eyes are kept open and he's forced to watch all this horror. Uh, I think that was the idea. And it just visually, it looked better in black and white than in color. So I think preceding that reveal, it worked better in black and white because that's essentially how you were going to reveal it in the third act. But 
Um, but I did miss the color. It was something stunning about the color. And um, we, I just basically used, we, we looked through a series of lookup tables to try to pick out, you know, find the black and white of it all. And um, I think it looks stunning in black and white, but I, you know, after we were done lighting it and just seeing how the color sort of resonated, even though it was a very monochromatic scene, um, I think she made the right call sticking with her original idea. But I, I did, I, I was, I was, I think I was mildly pitching keeping it in color. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, what were some of the movies that the two of you talked about that you took inspiration from, and was Black Swan one of them? You know, we didn't talk specifically about Black Swan, but clearly it was an influence for her. I think I think she probably, out of respect, maybe didn't talk about it so much. But obviously the ballet, it was hard to get away from, the idea of it. And then talking about a woman descending into madness, you know, for, for different reasons altogether, um, it was hard not to be an influence, you know, especially with the use of reflections. You know, there's that scene where uh, Alice is in... A ballet class, and she sees herself as uh, Margaret, Kiki's uh, character. Kiki Lane. It's undeniable that, that there's an influence there, right? But I didn't try to shy away from it. I mean, I, I was just... there. We didn't... I, I didn't use the same camera language. We didn't use the same camera language, really, uh, in Black Swan, because it was a... It's obviously... There were different bills to pay in the scene, so... Um, but... That's another scene where you sort of see that top shot and you feel that circle. Uh, and and it was, you know, it was less about being as subjective as we were in Black Swan. But in terms of films that we 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 uh, talked about, she was really into sort of the late 80s, 90s psychological thrillers. Like, you know, your Indecent Proposal and the you know, Devil's Advocate type, you know. she's well, At one point she's like, have you seen Devil's Advocate lately? I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I haven't. And I, it's funny because it's like just the sort of um, the nature of, and the attitude of the characters. She really wanted to, you know, um, you know, just be there. Like I, I recently watched No Way Out, and I, I see things in No Way Out that have, you know, the the same attitude and um, just the attitude towards the sex and like the provocative nature of how people interact with each other sexually. And, I think she really wanted to convey all those things. It was a large influence, and what she was trying to create was a psychological thriller that's a, a fun ride. And um, so those films, obviously Truman Show was uh, an influence um, as well. And um, for you know, for more of the on-the-nose, like this is an environment that we want to believe in and then we're going to reveal as something that's going to be not as it, as it, as it appears. But um, we really talked about... Photographs, like Slim Aaron's photographs, Alex Prager photographs, you know, and um, sort of what they convey in their feminine nature, you know, and that was, uh, and, you know, women as heroine and also victim, I think, um, well, especially with the Alex Prager work and how visual and stunning and like, you know, there's so there's always, um, I know I work with Alex, so there's always, 
there's always a question and a statement there, but it's wrapped in this amazingly styled way that I think this film really, it really sings that attitude. Um, the packaging of it is just, just the atmosphere of it, the visual, the taste of it is really, it really sings that way. Um, so she was a large influence. So it was a, it was a combination. I, I, I typically, um, it was funny watching some of these films. I was like, wow, it's, I haven't really revisited that. But then I got, it sort of became a, a reinvigorated by them, like as a fan of how uh, films used to be, you know, the Adrian line of, I see, I mean, I even see a little bit of um, Jacob's Ladder in it, you know, just because it's like, you think he's in one world, but he's actually in a completely different world. Or he, you know, you're wondering which world he's actually existing in. And I think um, there's a little bit of that in the film as well. Well, the story's told through the eyes of Alice, Florence's character. What was she like to work with? I, you know, I was um, so impressed by her at, at every turn. To be someone so, um, she's very talented in, t- in the sense that, like, I, you know, she could do anything, but, like, on at cut, she was still approachable. You know, she just, she was able to sort of navigate between cut and, and action. And she just, she would be able to make these small adjustments in performance that I was so happy to be in a front row seat to watch. And um, and she was, you know, from, you know, obviously there's so many, from a cinematographer to an actor, there's so many technical things that you're you're asking them to do. And she was very easygoing about it. And it didn't, it didn't feel like um, we were ever affecting her performance. She could still do it. And like, you know, I, I think about this one, we had boarded a shot where the camera, and it's in the film, where the camera comes around the mountain as Alice is running up the mountain. In our heads, and as Olivia and I were talking about it, we kept saying to ourselves, you know, we could have the stunt woman run up the mountain. Florence is like, no, 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 I want to, I want to do it. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll run. And I was like, wait, I mean, she runs up the entire thing. At a clip, too, and you don't see her slow down because the shot lasts a while as it wraps around. It sees her, lets her leave frame, and then it sees all the 1950s cars come up and then stop basically where her where her car stopped. And I, I thought, wow, you know, time and time again, walking barefoot in a dry lake bed or uh, walking barefoot at night in Palm Springs, like she was just, just game. You know, there's so much to admire about how she goes about her job and how she goes about her art that I just, uh, I was, it was, to me, it was just working with Florence. I, I just, I was so, I felt so lucky. Plus it's, you know, if people give me credit because Florence looks beautiful because of the light, it's not because of the light. <laughs> it's just, she's a movie star, you know, and that's, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. She's just, she's in, incredible. There's obviously been a lot of reports of trouble on set, um, including between Olivia and Florence. Um, what was your experience? I have to say this was probably the most harmonious set I've ever been on. I mean, Olivia built a team that believed in her and she believed in each and everybody on the set. So I don't, I heard rumors, when I hear that there are rumors of um, acrimony on the set, I just, I, I, I reject it. It wasn't apparent at all, uh, to be honest. Anything, and I've heard other rumors, and I, whatever happened, 
it happened way after I left and started doing something else. So I never, I was never witnessed anything and I didn't feel anything. You know, you know, you get a feeling that there might be something going on and I didn't feel anything. So are you saying that as far as you know, the stories are untrue? From my standpoint, the stories are completely untrue when it comes to being on set. I can't speak to post-production at all. It was really the most harmonious that I'd ever been on. You know, because it was extremely focused and we had an actor, we had an actor director. Somebody was in the performance and one thing I loved about it is that she was playing on the field at this time and she could actually, you know, when I talk about the Rat Pack and when you think about the cast that she put together, it was really fun to watch that happen. And so all I wanted to do is have the camera be able to react to these people who, like, it was this weird, it's like, it, I could move the camera and they would react to it because they all had this amazing ability because some, you know, Nick Kroll's a comedian, but he's so, his timing is impeccable. And, you know, then you, and Harry fit in so well with that. And then you had Kate Ber, uh, Berlant, who, again, just like, you know, fit her lines in and people, and it's like, we, we just tried to have the camera free and where you didn't have to cut from close up to close up to get the lines. And they just, they just did it. It was, it was fun to watch. And it was choreographed and like sort of conducted with a woman who's in the scene with them. I think that, that I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed watching her do that. And I, I, and I think um, it's part of the atmosphere and the, new, and the, uh, the sort of mise-en-scene of this movie is that she, she was able to not only put together a, a, a people of like mind on the, behind the camera, but in front of the camera as well. And I really enjoyed it. Betty, let's talk about the stunt sequence at the end, the, uh, the car chase, yeah. and, uh, and then what you referenced, the scene on the mountain. You know, that we, <laughs> one of the giant anxieties I had beyond the technical aspects of dealing with the backing inside the house and the set and this location on a stage that was too small was this action sequence. And as I read it, you know, I, um, of course, when you read an action sequence, it's much much bigger in your imagination than you can actually afford and handle and do based on the means that we had as a film and as a production so you know i i i, I asked olivia it's like what do you expect from this thing this action sequence and she literally said i want a badass action sequence oh okay so we just started looking at like um action sequences from like mad max to uh um bronin you know, and we were just obviously we're like that's not our skill set. I, uh, you know, I'm not really um, well versed in how to do action sequences. Um, I'm used to having a second unit director and a second unit cinematographer. They know all the gear. They know how they know how to work with the effects people and the stunt people to get all those things. But I was, I have to say, secretly excited to be the person that had to, you know figure out what gear had to be used once uh, Olivia and I landed on what we had to accomplish. So we had to sort of break it down like we were students, honestly. Like, okay, well, she has to start at point A, and then she has to end at point B. What happens in between, <laughs> you know? And and then we just started breaking it down, deconstructed it and break, breaking it down. It's like, okay, she has to leave her neighborhood. And then how does she get into the edge of victory? So then we had another location that sold that. And which was in Palm Springs. And then it transported us to a dry lake bed and then finally transports us to another location, which is the base of this mountain and ultimately up into this volcano. So I, you know, 
I, both of us were, you know, doing something we had never done before. And I, we talked about the sequence, all the events that had to be there. And then uh, we worked with the storyboard artist to do sort of a rough sketch of it. Like I would send him location pictures. I mean, this is what this place looks like. Let's be really specific. And I have to say, it's like, it kind of worked out because we, our first set of boards came in, the producers are freaking out. It's like, we can't afford any of this. So we, we had to cut some stuff and, um, and but we we still want at the end of the day you could always and this goes back to the whole you know as I give credit to Florence it goes back to her like if we can cut back if we could just if if we spend the money on anything we have to spend it on something where a rig or a piece of equipment that's going to allow Florence Pugh to perform without having to actually drive and look like she's just anguished and she's trying to get the hell out of there. And we put her on what's called a biscuit, where we attached her, um, well, Jack's car to that. And then she's, I mean, it looks like she's driving. And she's, she loved it. Olivia loved it. And then we had another piece of gear called the um, Edge Arm Car. And it was me and Olivia just, like, trying to get our boarded shots, you know. And with the help of amazing professionals like Alan Padelford, who was driving the car, and our stunt coordinator, who I mean, I'm, the name is escaping me, I have to find out, or Tracy something, but I got to remember the name. And just relying on these people, it's like, okay, this is what we want to do. And um, But it was, it ended up being so um, gratifying because there was so much angst around it and there was so much back and forth about what we could afford that I, I feel like, you know, we just we just focused on the story. We focused on Florence, and we got just enough stuff. We got just enough to tell the story in an impactful way and make it sort of entertaining. Uh, and that was fun. And when when we made the decision, and like down to the choice of of of, of one piece mechanic suits in red, you know, it was just like this is a movie. You know, this is a movie. It's like these guys are chasing her, and they're you know they're all stuntmen, but they're wearing like red jumpsuits, <laughs> and it's like. And then we had this amazing amount of guys climbing up this this um, these stuntmen climbing up these rocks on volcan- literally on volcanic rock. Why anybody would build a house on top of a dormant volcano, I have no idea. But it it's pretty stunning. It's pretty stunning. So anyway, I mean, I, it's one of the things I'm really proud of about the movie is that we we didn't really know how to go about it, but we just put our heads down and you know we just did it. We did it ourselves. So that was that was pretty cool. I think that was you know was one of the just from a. I'll always carry that memory about the movie. Just riding around a desert, a dry lake bed with Olivia, and crashing into this beautiful car. <laughs> what was your favorite scene to shoot? I really loved anything that um, Harry and um, Florence were when they were together. You know, as a couple, and um, like I loved when they were driving at the beginning of the movie and they're doing donuts. You know, just said something about the relationship, how the youthful, just exuberance. And then there's a point in the film where she's, she's like, um, uh, Olivia's character, Bunny, is, they're talking about kids. And she says, she says something about Jack and Alice. It's like, they only have time for each other. I mean, that's part of the point of the film. You know, it's Harry Styles and Florence Pugh, and they only have time for each other. I mean, come on, who doesn't love that? You know, and um, I completely believe that. I buy into that. I love the idea of that, and I, I, I really love those scenes. I, I love the action scene. I, th- I had a great time shooting that. That was as much as I felt the anxiety of 
you know, doing a good job and whether or not the sequence would work. It, it was it was a chase to try to get everything in the amount of time we had, and it was it was intricate. And there was a lot of running around and climbing this volcano. Um, so that was really gratifying. And then I love the the Busby Berkeley stuff that doesn't play as big a part in the film as I wish it did. Really, I, I wish there was another way to use it. But um, I, I just love the way she she has these ideas that are essentially art. And she's, she's fitting them into literal storytelling that we are bound as filmmakers to do so we can tell the story to a mass audience. But she has these other ideas, of uh, these very artistic ideas that they could stand alone as pieces. And she wedges them in there, uh, keeping an eye on story. And I, I think that that's her skill and talent. Um, having worked with her now twice, she has that, you know, Olivia has that ability um, to sort of have these big ideas and then fit them in and... and make them layers, you know, and create depth. Well, congratulations on the film. And thank you again for coming back and joining us. Oh, anytime for you. Thanks for having me. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.